Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. All right, we will be in Mark chapter 6. If you have Bibles or Bible apps, you can get a head start opening up to Mark chapter 6. Um, I've got kind of a personal update in sharing that this year I'm going to be serving year two um, in a volunteer position that's called Baseball Chapel over the Northern Colorado Owls. Recently, I began my second year of this. It's a cool, quiet organization um, that exists to ensure that every minor and major league baseball team has chapel services. Because... These are guys and players and coaches and staff that that they're working. They have professional, unique responsibilities and travel and all that kind of stuff. And so for the church to come to them is a really special and a really important thing. Um, If you take my hometown and baseball and Jesus and combine them all together, not in that order, there are three things that I love. I love, and so it's a unique opportunity to be a part of Baseball Chapel. It's not really something that that I've liked to advertise, hence this is the first time I'm actually telling the church about this, even though it's year two and I did it uh, last year. As I was kind of getting my feet wet with this opportunity and connecting with the players in the organization. But I wanted you to know, one, because it's a unique opportunity for the church to be a a going church, a, a church that is sent. We're gonna talk about that a lot today. And then also for the five to six weeks that I may not be here after the the 10 o'clock service kicks off, then just wanted you to know uh, to kind of direct you to other staff members. But uh, cool opportunity, and again, it has to do with what we're talking about today in the church, the people of the church being sent. So let's dive right in. Mark 6, he, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. Like I kind of alluded to earlier, I love my hometown, born and raised here in Windsor. It's not that I love everything about my hometown, but it's my hometown, even with all of its imperfections. Nazareth was Jesus's hometown, not Bethlehem. That's where he was born, but that wasn't Joseph and Mary's home. And with all of Jesus's fame, with his huge following, you would think that as you entered Nazareth, there'd be like a big sign right out front saying, Nazareth, proud home of Jesus. And maybe there was. 
because they at least initially welcomed him into their synagogue and had him teach on the Sabbath. And they recognized the wisdom and the mighty works of his hands. But it's a fickle, brittle recognition. Perhaps like those that would recognize him on Palm Sunday. And it didn't take long, and Jesus quickly offends them. Not long after he opened his mouth, they just couldn't reconcile this well-known local boy with the great claims and teachings he was making. Listen, I wanna prepare you for something because today, this isn't gonna be a very comfortable lesson. We're dealing with Jesus and the rejection that he experiences and some of the implications of that for us. So if we're gonna follow scripture, takes, take us where scripture leads us, then, then we're gonna have to encounter the stuff that makes us feel strong and the stuff that's hard but necessary. Today's passage is, is one of those latter ones. This is one sense of the sermon's title today. Return to sender. Return to sender, like rejection, not accepted, not welcome. I wish I could do this with like jury duty summons and, and tax bills, probably wouldn't be that effective. But if a person receives a personal letter and they don't wanna entertain it at all, they don't wanna open it, they're not interested in it, they write, probably in all capital letters, maybe with red ink, return to sender. Nazareth knew well about the popularity and the crowds following Jesus. And now they're hearing firsthand of the why behind all of those great claims and the great wonders. And they aggressively, quickly find themselves rejecting him, saying, not welcome, not accepted. Return to sender. See, you can't just accept Jesus as a good man, a mere celebrity. James Brooks said, shut out his divinity and Jesus becomes a stumbling block. This is another example where we're encountering in this gospel, Jesus's humanity on full display. It's undeniable that Jesus was a man for the skeptic or maybe for apologetics purposes. Listen to this. Jesus is a historically verifiable figure. Go check me up on that. Beyond Christian resources, go check me up on that. And he was apparently so clearly human that those that lived life around him, even in our own counts, accounts, they completely accepted him as human. It's his divinity, his divine nature that they struggled with. Even after seeing such mighty works of his hands. It's the big claims, the big works and the implications of that that they just couldn't compute. Because once you allow for that to be true, Jesus to be who he says he is, God incarnate, then there's all kinds of implications that are demanded. His hometown struggled with him. Once he started teaching and, and telling them who he was and by what authority he was doing these things, they struggled with him. And so did his relatives and even his family. Look closer as, as he extrapolates in verse four. Hometown, then relatives, then his own household. 
Because he's not making claims like, hey, I'm gonna show you a new way to do this thing. He's saying, I am the new way. No one comes to the Father except, except through me. Even his proof of miracles can't produce the sort of faith, saving faith, an intimate faith that Jesus is after. Well, why wouldn't God just show up in my world and show me a big miracle so that I can believe in him? First of all, he does, and it proves ineffective to develop that kind of saving faith. Second of all, he's after your heart, not after cold belief and obedience. Do you believe that I am who I say I am? And Nazareth and even his own family said, too far, too far. We know who you are. Your brothers and your sisters are all over the place here. You're just the local boy. You're not all that you think you are. His brothers, his neighbors, his sister, his former rabbi, they are all left astonished and not in a good way at Jesus' teaching. And in turn, he marvels at their unbelief. There are only two times in scripture in, in the gospels that Jesus marvels at something, just steps back and goes, wow. Here's one marveling at their unbelief. And for those of you going deeper with the bonus resource in our connections that we send out to connection leaders every week, you can take the second one and go a little bit deeper on that. It's, it's Luke chapter seven, verse nine, where he marvels at a person's faith. Jesus marvels at their unbelief here, so much so that it says he could do no mighty work there except laying his hands on a few sick people and healing them. That's troubling. Apart from the irony that laying your hands on a few sick people and healing them is, is still a mighty work, right? It's just that he could have done so much more if they would have received him. And that's troubling because it serves as a caution for those of us that, that proximity and familiarity with Jesus may lead to the kind of obedience and the kind of familiarity that doesn't produce faith. It's troubling. It serves as a, as a caution that putting Jesus in a box, becoming so familiar with Jesus and the Christian following can actually inhibit the way he wants to move in us and through us because it's faith on our terms, a comfortable faith, a faith where we're calling the shots. And maybe you're sitting there and going, yeah, that's a good caution, but I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. That kind of caution isn't relevant for me. So was Judas. And when following Jesus became so self-oriented on my terms, not on his terms, he became betrayable. It's a troubling caution, this lesson of Nazareth. May Timberline Windsor, may the people of Timberline Windsor never get so inwardly focused and spiritually stalled that God has to go elsewhere to be about his business. Be open and receptive to the shots that he calls, to the values that he calls. So in response, Jesus moves on and he did his own thing. He went about the villages. The literal language there in verse six means circling the villages. The, this is the Jesus tour. 
It starts with Nazareth, but when that doesn't go well, he moves on. And he enters a whole new phase of the Jesus tour, the apostles. Let's pick up verse seven. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The apostles. For many people, the word disciple and the word apostle are like two of the same thing. But while disciple means a close follower of Jesus, apostle means a sent one. This one is come, draw near, learn from me, be with me. This one is I'm now sending you out. Go do something with this. Apostle means to be sent. Take what you've received, take what you've learned, take what you've experienced and encountered with me and go do something with it. This is the part of the church we gotta be very careful about maintaining. This, the gathering, is very important. How are we ever gonna learn how to do this Jesus thing if not together, like Linda was talking about, with connections? This is important, being together, gathering together. But if it's just about this and receiving and we're never sent, it's gonna become stale and even toxic. Apostle means sent ones. Being about people more than just yourself. The church that has, is good at discipleship and not very engaged in apostleship is gonna become stale because it's all about me. All about the messages and the, the studies and the music that I like. And, and I'm not gonna be the one that tithes or serves because other people at church, I'm sure they're doing it. I, I'm, I'm just here to, to receive the goodness. Being a sent one means it's not just about us. We take what we've received and we do something about it. Take what you have received, you've been blessed with, and use it. The local church lives and thrives as the members of the local church that are a part of that local church are sacrificially giving through the church and serving through the church for the benefit of others. So take that as your specific invitation. Start small. If you're not giving regularly, start small. You hear us every week say, say things like, if you're a guest, we don't ask that you give and participate in this. This is for those of us that call that church home. And some of us can use that as an excuse not to give for years. If we're receiving from this local church, we need to be giving for the benefit of others. So start, even if just small. If you wanna start serving and getting connected to an, an area of service with, with students and kids and worship and media, we have great opportunities for you to engage immediately. And we have great, op, great needs in those areas. 
I mentioned those, those four in particular because, man, we could, we could really take some ground if people are saying, hey, hey, I'll join that media team or that worship team or that Timber Kids team or student ministry. Write on your connection card. Use it as a practical step today. Hey, help me get connected in this area. I'm ready to be a sent one. So Jesus sent them, the apostles. Ships aren't built to remain in harbors. They're safe in the harbor. They're not built to stay there. You're sent. All right, in pairs. Jesus paired them up, modeling a a Jewish cultural pattern of two witnesses, verifying and validating the message and the testimony. And because each one would be sent in pairs, everywhere they went, there was a diverse approach and reach that they were able to have on those areas. So that's a great idea and principle for us. As you're engaging and serving, as you're starting something new, grab someone alongside of you. Say, hey, I want to try this new area of serving. Would you join me? Would you come along with me? This kind of stacks the deck for you to succeed. Right off the bat, you know you're doing it with people that you like and care about. It's kind of stacking that deck for success. It's more fun, more diverse, and broader gifts if you and I do this together. With authority. Jesus sent them out with authority. It wasn't just, okay, now you've seen me do it. Let's see you cleanse demons. He gave them the power and the ability that they would not have had on their own. In many specific ways, facing some pretty intimidating enemies. If you were with us a couple of weeks back, we heard from Pastor Brenton in this kind of mind-blowing way, the sorts of unclean spirits that they would be have authority to cast out. But with limited supplies, just what you can carry on your backs. No bread, no bag, no money, like restrictions getting on an airplane these days. Minimal bags, minimal belongings, basically naked. (laughs) Trust in God for your needs. What you have seen and heard, now go. And before they're sent off, before they go off in their pairs, Jesus puts a couple of guiding principles around them. This is kind of the meat of today's message. Don't use any positive responses that you might encounter on your way out to climb the ladder with influential people. That's what's intended by those travel restrictions we just talked about and staying in the first house that accepts them and not moving on until you're done with that town. You're not socially ladder climbing, just looking for the next best thing. I stayed in this house, but man, when the rich guy told me I could stay in his house, I hopped from that house, went over here, stayed with him. Jesus says, hey, that's demonstrating unchristian favoritism. When you find a house that'll accept you, stay there. You're not using this to your benefit because that's gonna distract you, making you think that, that they're there to serve you. No, when I send you, you're there to serve them. And then secondly, expect rejection. They rejected me, as we just saw in Nazareth. You should expect it too. This is the part that I think might be a little intense or uncomfortable for a few minutes here. How do we deal with the rejection that we face? It seems like the people of Nazareth and certainly his own family should have been the people that most stood behind Jesus and were his biggest fan club. But no, 
They rejected him. And while he was perfect, and so the fault in this relational conflict clearly wasn't with him, he's sending his disciples out, and guess what? We're not perfect. The followers of Jesus aren't perfect, so the fault in our relational tension, it might be their fault, or it might be our fault. Usually both. And Jesus is teaching us, and he modeled for us, how to deal with that rejection. Or even a recent developing term of a long-standing concept, how to deal with relational quiet quitting, where people just stop trying, become unresponsive. It seems like within the church family and within our own families and those that know us best, we should all just get along. Jesus gets that. But he also knows that sometimes it hits real close to home. I want to fall on the sword a little bit here. Some of you, today, next week, sometime in the future, will encounter a reason to uproot from this church family and find another one. Maybe I'll offend you, that's likely. (laughs) Or it won't even be an offense, it'll just be a difference in philosophy or or music style or ministry philosophy, etc. All kinds of reasons. Now, don't get worried. We're not bringing this up because this is something that we've encountered or is specific just to Timberline because we know that people coming and going is a part of every church's experience. All kinds of ministries, churches, relationships have to deal with this. And it may very well be legitimate the reasons that someone disassociates from a relationship or a ministry or a church. And either way, legitimacy isn't what what we're really looking at right now. And and not all church moves need to be tense and conflict-ridden. As we're about to to send Pastor Patrick Bronner and the Bronner family, there can be some situations just like that where it's this mutually agreed and mutually understood way that God is moving and shifting different people. More on them when we pray for them in a bit. But listen, some of you will one day find another church, and for others of you, this is the other church that you left for. And whenever you've uprooted from one church to another, this church to another church, or another church to this church, it doesn't have to be a kingdom loss. As long as you do it well. Because many of us, if not most of us, don't know how to disassociate well. We're good at at building a posse behind us. Let me tell you why I'm leaving and then maybe you can come with me too. We're good at gossip. We're good at quiet quitting. I don't know how good people in general and especially the people of the church are at disassociating well, but we're gonna look at how Jesus did it. If and when that time comes or has come, let's look a bit at how both Jesus modeled this and teaches his followers to disassociate well. If you ever find yourself rejected, I had people after the first service come and say, this was a confirmation of something I'm facing this week. Thank you for for walking through the word and seeing how Jesus dealt with tough situations like I'm facing. If you find yourself running into a relational stalemate, 
of any kind. Jesus is first assuming that at some point in some way you've dealt directly with the person involved. If they will not receive you and they will not listen to you. That's a principle in conflict assuming that there has been some direct attempts on your part with that other person. In Christian circles, oftentimes we can call this the Matthew 18 principle. Because in Matthew 18, Jesus is constantly teaching his people in verses 15 through 35, here's how you deal with conflict. And it starts by going directly to the person involved. There's no room here for gossip. No room here for burning bridges. No room here for recruiting a posse. And certainly, no room here for airing your grievances with anyone and everyone on social media, but never directly with the person involved. That's unbiblical. That's not Christ-like. When you have done what you can directly with the person, and it's clear that there is a need to disassociate, here's how you do it well. Or more specifically, here's how you do it modeling Jesus. First, be real with what you're facing. There is no evidence here that you just bottle it up. No, be real with what you're facing. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He was frustrated. He processed it. And then gracefully go on and do your thing. And he left. He moved on. At the end of verse 6, Jesus chose to move on, circling the other villages, teaching. Even if it means leaving behind what could have been not indefinitely lingering, unable to move on or to allow others to move on. And on a very personal level, try to ensure that that this doesn't become a pattern, relationally disassociating or ministry or church disassociation. Try to ensure that's not a pattern because that can be a very lonely point in life and a very vulnerable point in life. Even in real disappointment, strive to be soft in heart. Soft in heart, not rigid. You're still soft with a soft heart in prayer where your prayers are not just telling God all about your problems with this person, but also allowing some space. Hey God, before I post this social media post about this other person or ministry or church, or before I send that angry text, or before I just decide to quit on this relationship, Have I given you any space to redirect my thoughts or my actions or my words? In fact, based on what we just talked about with dealing directly with people, you may have reason to question your own receptivity to the leading of God if he has never redirected you to directly deal with the person. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times we'll hear, especially in Christian circles, I've been praying about this and I feel led to leave this relationship or this ministry or this church. And at some point, if God, if you're receptive to the leading of God over your life, if you've really been praying about it, is there any point that God might have said, have you gone directly to the person involved? Have you talked with them directly? Well, I've talked to you a lot about them. No, have you talked to them directly? I've talked to everybody else about that person. Have you gone to them directly? Well, that's really hard. Yes, it is. Yes, it is so hard. 
But if you haven't gone directly to the person, you're not done. You're not ready to leave. You have more work to do. And in the end, you may still finding yourself needing to separate, needing to disassociate. And like I said, for some, we're here at Timberline because we needed to leave another church. That's fine. Just make sure that you have done everything that you can, as far as it depends on you, to ensure that, that you're doing this separation in respect and grace and leaving that bridge intact. Because one of the craziest things that we are really good at doing is on my way out, I'm gonna lob a grenade behind me, destroy that bridge, done. Thank God that Jesus didn't do that because there's one guy, his little brother, whose name is included earlier in the passage, just throwing out his name and I'm gonna share with you in just a little bit why it is so cool that Jesus didn't burn that bridge. This storm-calming, demon-cleansing, dead-raising God cares apparently very deeply about how you and I deal with relational tension. Why? Why in the world does he care so much about our, our disassociation? And why in the world would Pastor John spend five minutes telling people how to leave a church? <laughs> because I care about people's health even beyond direct association and connection. And because we walk through the whole of the Bible and this is where our journey in Mark has taken us. To Jesus, your health and their health and the health of the church and the health of the message that we're entrusted with, all of that really matters. Man, the people of the church have more than our fair share of our work cut out for us than to have self-inflicted wounds and friendly fire. Man, we can do this better. We can even do the hard things like disassociating well if we look to Jesus, if we allow him to model our lives. It's countercultural. All right. So if that's a relevant, close-to-home lesson for you, take it to heart. Allow him to change your, your thoughts, your words, and certainly anything you post on social media. And if not, if that's, if that's not really relevant in your life, pocket it, because you're going to need this. We all need to know how to do this well. These last five minutes may, may sit heavy with you, like it is with me. I think that's okay. I think we need to be able to wrestle with some of the harder things that we encounter in scripture because it's how we change, more like him. So there's this one guy mentioned briefly in the story that just jumps off the page at me every time. We've got Jesus's whole family accounted for by name in verse three, and his family counted among those who refused to give him honor in, in verse four. I was gonna throw this part into the bonus resources for our connection groups to go a little bit deeper, but it's too good not to share with everyone. So I wanna take a quick detour. You don't have to go there in your Bibles because by the time you find it, we'll be done with that specific point. I wanna take a quick detour to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse seven, because it says this. Then he, Jesus, appeared to James. 
than to the, uh, all the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, or just the first five words of it, as brief as it is, is a sermon in and of itself. I want you to take a moment to imagine what Jesus, post-resurrection, appearing to his little brother, must have been like. Up until that point, this was faithless James, indignant Skeptic James, the grandiose one, Jesus, the martyr, the one so many people think so highly of, but he was just big brother Jesus to me until that moment. What happened in the pregnant words of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7? Then Jesus appeared. To James. Post crucifixion, post Easter Sunday, James had had years of experience hearing all about the miraculous, powerful works of Jesus and not allowing them to penetrate his heart. So even Easter Sunday's claims likely weren't enough to change anything for him until this moment. Something changed. We can only guess at the brotherly conversation that was happening in the intimacy of that room. But what we do know is that something changed. This would go on to be the same James that we hear about in the book of James. A big leader in the church and even a martyr for following Jesus. He was killed for the claims of his faith that I am a follower of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's why simple verses like that and the account of Jesus' family alone might be some of the most compelling apologetics cases of all. Because if you can accept that Jesus was a historically verifiable figure, and then you can say, what I have a problem with is all of his big teachings, all of his big claims. If that's where you're at, you're in really good company. <laughs> his hometown was like that. His own family was like that. His own brother was like that. They didn't believe the claims of Jesus until they did. Something changed and eventually they would even die for the truth of those claims. You don't die for something you know to be false. God had a lot of work to do over this man James's life. It took a long time to sort through the brotherly tension, the stubbornness, and the rejection. But Jesus is patient. And apparently, he doesn't even hold brotherly grudges. I love the heart of this man, our God. And what he said in sending the apostles then is what he says to the church now. I'm sending you. Like maybe this picture of a child learning to swim. We're in the deep end and, and you're holding, grasping tightly and desperately to the father's neck saying, I don't wanna go and the father's saying, I, I need you to know you, it's okay. I'm trying to teach you how to be sent. Don't worry, I got you. I won't let you drown. I want you to learn how to be sent. And so the apostles do what? They go. 
The sent ones went and they modeled Jesus, modeled what we've been encountering each of the past weeks in this gospel, that they healed the sick, they preached repentance, and they had power to to cast out demons. The reign of God, the message, the power, the rule over the enemy, over suffering and over stubbornness is expanding through them. They're swimming. This is how the church is gonna take ground. By the people of the church gathering and learning and receiving from one another and from being in Jesus's presence and then going and being the sent ones. This is why I want each of us to to personally think about how is it through giving or serving or other, how is it that I am called to be a sent one? So in kind of wrapping this episode up, I want us to see how the apostles sending also simultaneously was never beyond where Jesus was. Because he would need to teach them this lesson now in this kind of light experience because they'd need to know it later. I'm not always gonna be with you guys in the most bodily sense, but I am always with you in the most profound, powerful sense. It's the same kind of being sent, but I am always with you that we receive in the Great Commission at the end of the book of Matthew. Go, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. He will never send us beyond where he is. He is sending us and we are always with him. This is kind of this profound lesson that they need to learn and we need to learn. But it's a beautiful, powerful aspect of this sermon. This is the other sense of this sermon's title. The first sense of return to sender was rejection. This is the other sense. You can always, Return to sender. Like that kid swimming when, when the water gets a little exhausting and when, when I run into trouble and I'm taking strokes and I, I start to swallow water and it's a struggle, I can know, dad's got you. You won't drown. I'm sending you out into troubled waters. I'm sending you out into relationships and a culture that needs this message. And when it gets hard and your head starts to dip underwater, I've got you you can always return to sender. So this weekend, we're doing a sort of sending of our own with the Bronner family. And, and as they come up, and I'd invite the worship team to come up as well, I wanted to make sure to have an opportunity where, where this is kind of an implication of this message. Because you better believe with all these words of we are sent, we are sent, we are sent, that's ringing in the Bronner family's ears. Because this weekend, we're sending them as they go back to Indiana, closer to home. And so as the worship team comes up, we're going to pray over them with the worship team. And I'd ask you to join us in that. And then after that, after we pray for them, I want to pray for a couple of our missions teams that hopefully you heard about a couple of weeks back, teams that we are sending. And then I want to pray over some day-to-day implications for you and I before we return to worship. But... Pastor Patrick and Megan, um, you've heard this before, 
because this isn't the first service of Sunday, but we love you. We are stronger as a church family because of our time with you. Our relationships with you are authentic and deep and real, and that's the part that doesn't change. That's the part that, that doesn't need to be left behind. So what does it mean that a church prays over a family and sends them? It's because, hey, we have this relationship now. We have this bond now. We have experiences, the good, the bad, and the difficult together. And we get to hold on to that and agree to part ways well because we see and affirm where God is sending you. We say yes and amen to that. So I'd love it if you guys laid some hands in prayer on these two. And I'd love it, church, if you stretched out your hands as we as a church family, God, come before you and we say for Patrick and Megan and their five sweet kids that, God, we are sending them. We do depart, but they are bringing something with them and we are better and stronger because of their time with us. We thank you with the ways that authentic fellowship, authentic service, self-giving service, and joy surrounds this wonderful family. We know that that means something great in the future of their new community and their new church that they're going to. We say yes to that. We, we celebrate that. And we ask that you would bless their marriage, bless their parenting, bless the neighbors in the church ready to receive them, God, in a new season that you have for all involved. And then we pray that over us as well, that God, we trust that you are the one sending us all and leading us all. So we pray that blessing over this family in your name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you. We just wanted to say a quick word, say thank you so much. We are truly appreciative of our, our time here with this church family. And um, just all, all, we just want to say thank you for all the love and kindness that we've been shown uh, during this, this time here, all seven of us. And um, I, I realized as I was standing back there, we actually have a Colorado native in our family. So <laughs> that, that makes us that, pretty, goes with you that makes us cool Colorado people. But <laughs> anyway, um, but so thank you so much. It's just been such a blessing to be here. And as you were saying, we've uh, just been reflecting on our time here and, and how life is so much of life is our experiences and the people that we do that with. And so we're changed. We're better people because of all of you. And, and we're just so thankful for that. And we know that the future of this church is amazing. And we just believe in, and we're just thankful for that as well. So thank you so much. We love you guys. Amen. Amen. Um, I didn't do this last service. I, I guess I didn't have the thought, but there's, there's people I know in our midst um, that are going on one of our missions trips. We prayed over those teams a couple of weeks back, um, but, but in this topic, in light of what we're talking about and, and people going and being sent, I'd love it. If you're going, we have three TSM, Timberline Student Ministry teams, going to their missions trips, to the Dominican Republic, to Royal Family Kids Camp, and to Washington, D.C. We have a Habitat for Humanity team going to Taos to, to build a home for people there. And then we have two different teams following up on the families care effort. Um, on Orphan Care Weekend at this campus, we talked about how families care is, is a team of people coming along the side of a vulnerable family in our community for the course of a year. Hopefully saying, hey, there's some struggle here. How can we go get past struggle into survival and into even maybe thriving? 
There's two teams that have been trained and formed and ready to, to kind of function as a missions team. So we want to pray for them as well. So if, if in any way you're a part of any of those TSM teams, the Habitat for Humanity team, or those Families Care team, I'd ask you to stand so we can pray over you as being sent. I know there's one in the drum cage behind me. I know there's one in the media suite. Joe, I see you. You got to stand up too. Thank you. God, I pray over these teams being sent in many different kinds of ways. I pray that you would help them as it gets choppy and the waters get hard and they have to adjust and adapt. We pray that they would know that they have never been sent where you are not. That they go with the love and the support and the prayers of this church family. That we, those of us not going on these trips, would view it like like a part of our family is being equipped and deployed in these ways. And we can be thankful for that. We can long for updates and celebrate the wins that these teams are representing. We pray a blessing over these teams as they are truly sent this summer. Amen. Amen. Last, I kind of want to turn back to to the personal day-to-day implications of this. Because some of us heard this this conversation all about how to deal with rejection, well, and that hits close to home. Or some of us maybe have just encountered the love of Jesus and the heart of the gospel, the heart of a God that takes us and accepts us right where we are. And if that's where you're at, this isn't a merely add-on prayer, that if God has drawn you to this service and, and to an understanding of the gospel, that he accepts you right where you are. And in turn, you can just like James kind of say, I see it now, and you have saved me. I wanna pray over those two things specifically. God, for those of us that are facing rejection or relational conflict of any kind, the world and our flesh will scream at us in how to deal with it. None of those ways are helpful. You whisper a new way, a different way. Help us hear your voice, Jesus, and in the midst of the conflict. Help us do things like Matthew 18 in a radical way of dealing with people directly. Give us strength and words to say for those of us facing conflict. And for those that that are encountering, encountering you, Jesus, and your gospel for the first time, that they would turn and respond and accept you like James did. They are saved. That is a profound, eternal, soul-level moment. And we pray, thank you, God. We say thank you for saving me and seeing me and accepting me, dealing with the rejection that I deserved and instead embracing me into your family, into this family. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, For joining serving opportunities and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.